Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good winter weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every weekend, you'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, experts, farmers, authors, sommeliers, tastemakers, and more, all of whom are passionate about everything delicious. It's always my goal to feed your soul, so I hope you won't touch your dial. I have an hour of scintillating conversation coming up, and I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You'll find my daily shameless posts, gluttonous, of course, on social, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan. And you can always hear radio podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen. Now, if you love to cook or love to eat, then I like to say we can definitely be friends. And with that said, let's dig in, shall we? The holiday season is here and the big feasts are quickly approaching for Christmas and Kwanzaa and New Year's, of course. And the question that I get asked the most, and by the way, I'm happy to dish with you via email, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com, jamie at chefjamie.com. The question I get asked the most, especially during the holiday season, but interestingly enough year round, is how do I perfect my prime rib? The crusty, golden brown, juicy, delicious, perfect prime rib, that is a holiday centerpiece, right? It is also an art. And roasting is one of the oldest methods of cooking, one of the most wonderfully simple classic techniques as well. But simple is not always easy, right? Roasting comes down to meat and heat. And several things happen when you cook a roast. Um, Russ Parsons, previous food editor of the LA Times, who I've always loved reading, uh, was quoted as saying, it is one of the oldest forms of cookery and one of the grandest. And for most cooks, it is also one fraught with concern. And it's true, right? The earliest form of cooking was direct heat over an open fire. And then came roasting, probably by accident, where let's assume raw meat was left near the open fire and indirect heat cooked it more gradually. And then eventually the meat was threaded onto a stick and spit roasting was born. And then a culinary genius somewhere created a box that would absorb the heat from the fire and radiate it back at the food and ultimately oven roasting was born. And there are a few scientific things that happen when you roast, right? The texture of the protein changes from tough and stringy often to firmly textured but creamy in consistency. And if you roast too long, you will reach the dry and tough stage guaranteed. But the color of the meat changes and the succulence or the juiciness develops, right? And the natural water content of the meat evaporates and the fat is rendered. But it's the flavor that is created while roasting that we all love. And it comes from the mallard reaction or the browning process. So to create caramelization is the true secret. So the art of prime rib starts here. 
you need to start with the best quality meat that you can afford. A well-marbled prime rib roast will guaranteed ensure you incredible flavor and texture. Now, you can also find prime prime rib or choice prime rib or lots of other options at your butcher shop. So um, pick the best that you can and um, I'll share my best juicy tips. So um, I believe in high heat roasting. I always have. I like to sear in the flavor and the juices of a large roast. So I start the oven high for the best flavor. I'm really not about the reverse sear. Uh, It's not my preference, um, but there are a couple of tricks when it comes to high heat roasting that I can encourage you to be mindful of. And that is first and foremost, your oven needs to be super clean because high heat roasting does create smoke and you don't want to grease burn on the interior of your oven. That That's never good. <laughs> now to ensure the safety of your roast... Uh, and you more specifically, I always recommend placing a baking sheet with a bit of water on the bottom rack of your oven, which catches the fat drippings or the grease splatters so that they don't land on the bottom of the oven. Again, ensuring a simpler process. And after the initial browning process, I turn the oven down to cook the interior of the meat to perfection. Now, another most vital step and a great chef's tip that I think we all need to be reminded about is the importance of resting. This applies to you and I during the holiday season too. I'm trying to teach my son to rest uh, because the the nap is not particularly popular with him anymore, Uh, but it really applies to your meat too. Any protein, beef to poultry, continues to cook after it is removed from the oven or the barbecue or the name it any appliance that applies heat. And I like for the juices to recirculate, for the proteins to relax. And so I always suggest a minimum 10-minute rest, preferably 20 minutes for larger cuts like the prime rib before you carve or slice. Now, my ribeye that comes off the grill, I rest that five minutes, guaranteed. Because this simple trick will garner you juicier, better tasting results. Now, the last and final tip that is, I think, the finest I can share is the importance of placing a close to room temperature roast, not cold, into the oven when you begin roasting. Because just think about it. If you place this cold, dense piece of meat in a hot oven, the exterior of the meat is going to dry out before you've given the inside a chance to cook through, right? A cold piece of meat will cook unevenly and much more slowly. The proper tools, by the way, essential as well. You should have a meat thermometer and you always want to check the temperature away from any bones for an accurate read. And then there are the subtle nuances of roasting, of course, right? When you buy a grand quality protein, then your holiday season is that much more delicious. But it is all about the simplicity of the recipe, in my opinion, for a prime rib. And so I make a simply perfect, as I call it, prime rib with a red wine mustard sauce. And the recipe is posted at chefjamie.com. And there's red wine and some beef stock and some Dijon mustard and rosemary or sage and some cold butter to finish the sauce. But really, when you master the process, the technique is super simple. And it is just so uber impressive 
to present a prime rib on your Christmas table, don't you think? If you want to dish on prime rib, once again, just send me an email, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com, and cheers to a glorious feast, for sure. Now, last week, which I'm sure you listened, of course, (laughs) I actually promised some gift of food ideas, because now is the time when the, the, you know, present season is here to make an edible homemade gift because they're always devoured. And I think that gifts of food make you a culinary hero. So I love to make homemade extracts where you take a vanilla bean and you scrape it, you know, after you've split it open and you put the bean and of course the seeds from the pod inside of a mason jar and you add vodka or bourbon to cover And a few weeks later, you have homemade vanilla extract. How cool is that, right? You can do that actually with lemon peel and orange peel as well. Um, And I use vodka as the base of those. You're making your own homemade extracts and any great cook or baker is going to love that as a holiday gift, a stocking stuffer, or a host or hostess gift. We all make homemade hot cocoa mix, right? Where you layer a powdered milk and cocoa powder, sugar, chocolate chips, and for me, please, uh, crushed candy canes in a mason jar (laughs) and then wrap it up with a pretty bow and attach the recipe. Always a lovely gift as well, like cookies ready to go. And then if you want to get tipsy, there is the homemade Kahlua recipe famous in my family. Thank you, mom. Um, We make ours as a brandy base. Some do vodka. It's sugar, water, a vanilla bean, espresso powder. And if you really want to talk about things that are important, homemade Kahlua is one of them. Before the end of the hour, right at that last bite, as I call it, I'm going to share my homemade Kahlua recipe, uh, measurements and all. I'm also going to post it on social media at Chef Jamie Gwen. You do not want to miss this next conversation. And you certainly want to get your hands on this book. We're going to dish on King Arthur Baking Company's impressive cookie collection right after this. So don't touch your dial. Grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen celebrating the season in your radio. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and season's eatings to you. Whether you're a novice baker or a bake sale pro, you can achieve cookie perfection every time. Whether it is a chewy or a crispy chocolate chip cookie that you adore, a sugar cookie, a drop cookie, a <laughs> oh, the, the opportunities are endless, really. 
It's a tome of cookie wisdom. Why, yes, it is. It is the newly revised and updated, the must-have cookie cookbook for bakers of all levels. King Arthur Baking Company's The Essential Cookie Companion was just released. And for the perfect cookies, you'll discover more than 400 delightful ones in the pages. From the classic flavors to the modern techniques, It is really a beautiful resource from King Arthur Baking Company. Since 1790, in fact, they have been baking with a long and storied history. And so we're getting the lowdown on King Arthur, and we are baking cookies to perfection with David Tamarkin. He's the editorial director and a cookie aficionado himself. And I am delighted to have you, David. Uh, welcome and uh, a very good season to you. Thank you. It's, it's a thrill to be here. Yeah, mm. happy season to you. Thank you kindly. Um, wh- whether you're Hanukkah macaroons or Christmas spritz cookies, just for the record, our, our house and my family, we're both. Um, <laughs> there is a I cookie. I know. There's a cookie for everyone, though. I wonder in the... Um, in the evolution of this cookie companion, what you learned about people you know and love and their cookie preferences? Well, I mean, one thing I learned is that, you know, like you said, everybody, there's a cookie for everybody, and people tend to know what their cookie is, and they don't love to sway. They're very loyal to their cookies, right? So, you know, um, I'm definitely a chocolate chip cookie person. I'm also sometimes a ginger molasses person. Mm. I'm never a meringue person. I'm never a macaroon person, much less a macaron person. Uh, so, you know, people tend to like love the cookies they love and, and they'll fight for those cookies, which I think is a really great debate to have. I do too. Like I love a cookie swap only for the conversation that ensues, right? And in fact, during oh, the yeah. pandemic last holiday season, um, a group of friends and I planned a cookie swap where we left a plate of cookies on the doorstep and went around and, and did our, our swap, certainly not as good as in person. Um, but it's, it's very insightful to learn about uh, people's palates, especially those that you love. And I think everyone should have a signature cookie, or a few for that matter, if you want to be a bake sale pro, right? Or if you're going to the yeah. office cookie swap. Um, but there are 400 to choose from in this book. This is um, quite an encyclopedia, and it's a testament to King Arthur's history and heritage. Give us a, a little bit of backstory, if you would, because we've all come to know and love King Arthur in our baking lives, no matter how old or young you are. King Arthur is the oldest flour company in America. It was founded in 1790, as you mentioned. Um, fun fact, is also New England's first food company of, of any type. Um, It wasn't called King Arthur back then. It uh, it didn't become King Arthur until 1896. You know, so that's that's you know still a long time ago. Yes. Um, But when I feel like things really changed for King Arthur was when uh, Frank and Brenna Sands bought the company, and that was in uh, the 80s. And uh, they they they're the ones who like made it employee owned. They're the ones who started the Baker's catalog. They're the ones who, you know, um, you know, really just made it like the really good company it is. And when I say good, it means it just is, it's a feel-good company to work for, but also just it treats its employees really well. It's just known for being a company with a soul. And, it, and, that's, and that's true. You know, that's what drew me to the company. I'm new to the company, so that's what drew me there. And I've found that it's absolutely true. So there's been lots of evolutions. And I guess last year was our, our, our biggest evolution because we went from King Arthur Flower 
to King Arthur Baking Company really to drive home the fact that that's what we are. We're, we're bakers, um, and yeah, we love flour, and we use a lot of flour, hmm. but we even bake when there's not flour involved. You know? Sure. I found a flourless cookie recipe in the book that I can't wait to talk to you about. Um, I think it's yep. quite extraordinary the social good that King Arthur does. And I think that could be defined and explained in lots of ways. But for those with uh, dietary restrictions, allergies, or otherwise, King Arthur has been an extraordinary resource for substitutions, I I would like to call them, right? With um, so many different nut flours and grains and otherwise that I think we look to King Arthur for that today, and, and that is above and beyond flour, right? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's one reason why we've evolved from King Arthur Flour to King Arthur Baking Company, because like you're pointing out, there are tons of ways to bake, and every way to bake is valid and delicious. And so whether you're baking with nut flours or, or, you know, or wheat flours or, or no flour at all, which is the fun fact is that one of our most popular uh, recipes on the website is a cheesecake, which has no flour in it at all. At all. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so gluten... You're right. King Arthur was really early to gluten-free and really just went in and and supported those bakers. And now I think it's become a real resource for those bakers. Oh, definitely so. Um, Before we get to specific recipes, which, by the way, I very selfishly chose, right? I I read the book cover to cover, 400 recipes, or at least titles for that matter. And I chose every cookie that I love that I couldn't wait to make. And in no particular order, because I really couldn't decide what to make first. Although it will probably be some sort of molasses, ginger, something. Uh, But with that said, at the start of the book, there's a a really beautiful, I I don't mean to keep calling it a resource, but it's a a technique-packed introduction to everything you need to know. And whether it's a refresher for grand bakers or for um, a new baker starting out, these are the tips that I think we all need to be reminded of that you might get haphazard about when you're baking and you're in the middle of the rush of the holiday season. I, th- I think these are just really great reminders. Why do you add eggs one at a time? This applies to sweet and savory, by the way, but very much applies, I believe, to the process of a, of a great cookie dough. I'll say that like, this, is, this is really interesting to me too because I always assumed that it was just that you wanted to ensure that the egg was getting uh, incorporated into your batter fully before adding the next one, and that somehow if you added them all at once, that they wouldn't incorporate us fully. And I do think that's the reason why you want uh, room temperature eggs, because they do incorporate uh, Much more better. easily. Yes. But, um, but yeah, as it points out, this was, and this was a surprise to me too, the answer is you add cookies one at a time, to allow uh, the butter and sugar mixture to retain uh, air. Yeah, so, the, and le- of course the you want leavening. That air because that's what, yes, right, because that's what's going to give your cookie lift. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't have yeast and we don't, and, you know, you have some chemical leaveners in most cookies, but it's really that beating that's going to give it that, uh, like you said, that, that lift, that leavening. Yes. So I, that was a surprise to me, too. So this book is, you know, a surprise for everybody. A, a wealth of knowledge, really. Um, uh, I would yeah. like to talk about beating the spread. Uh, that could be construed yep. in so many wonderful ways, but no one loves a flat, weeping cookie. Now, do they? Um, and I can't think of anything better to keep everyone listening 
but that. We'll take a quick break. David, please don't go away. When we come back, there is more on King Arthur Baking Company's The Essential Cookie Companion, revised and updated. Grab a snack. Maybe it's a cookie (laughs) and a glass of milk. There's more right after this. We're back and we're dishing. Well, maybe we're dipping cookies in milk. Oh, that sounds good right about now. David Tamarkin is here, editorial director for King Arthur Baking Company. The Essential Cookie Companion, newly updated and released, has 400 recipes from America's most trusted baking resource. You'll find step-by-step instructions and illustrations for Really impressive, incredible tasting cookies from the basics that we all love to the extraordinary new biscotti that you look to attempt or try. And there are icings and fillings and dips and advice on everything. It's really the ultimate cookie cookbook. And so we're dishing with David. We left off talking about beating the spread. Okay, David, take us there if you would, because it it is about leavening. It is also about fat. And we've all had a cookie flop. I, I mean, I've had I've been many cookie flops. So have I, of course. Time. Many, many, many. Um, and I still eat them. I still eat them. <laughs> Me too. Sometimes. That's called research um, and development. R&D. Right. <laughs> I, I just don't put them on Instagram. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned, so there's a ton of reasons why a cookie may spread. Um, and you mentioned some good ones that we can get to. The most surprising to me was that the oven might actually be too cold. And that was shocking to me because I always thought that, you know, my cookies may be spreading because my oven's too, too hot. hot. I sure. thought, oh, it's melting the dough and it's just kind of spreading everywhere. No. The, what's happening is an oven that's too cold, you need the right amount of heat to kind of set the cookie and so that it can retain its shape. It's going to set it the outside. There's a concept similar in bread that involves steam, you know, um, you know, uh, I won't. I won't get into it. I won't get nerdy about bread. We'll stick to cookies. But uh, yeah, cool can you co- wait? Can you come them. back and get nerdy about bread? I would love that. I would love to. Okay, I, I, I can get so nerdy about bread anytime you want. That's fabulous. Um, that's the requirement of working for King Arthur yes. to get nerdy about bread. Um, so, so the cool oven, it, the everything, the fat and the cookie melts before the cookie sets up, and then you've got spread all over the place. So that to me was the most uh, shocking one. Um, this also could be about the sugar in the cookie. Mm-hmm. If you have too much sugar, uh, it, you know, it spreads. Um, and the recommendation we put in the book is if you have cookies that are spreading, you can just kind of cut back on the sugar a little bit. Normally we don't, uh, make that recommendation. You know, a lot of people think that when they're baking, if they want to kind of make it, you know, quote unquote healthier, they'll just cut the sugar in half, not realizing that the sugar is there for so many more reasons than this flavor. Sugar is texture. Mm-hmm. But if you're having a cookie that spreads, you can take a little bit out. I'm talking like maybe like, you know, Qu- quarter, not more than... Quarter cup, yeah. few tablespoons? Yeah. Yes, yeah, something yes. like that. You could go all the way up to a quarter of the sugar, but no more than that, and see what happens. Interesting. But you mentioned leavening. 
Yes, because I've and, always thought, you know, I, I've tested a, a chocolate chip cookie recipe, one specific recipe over and over and over again, multiple ways. Grating the butter from the freezer, cold butter from the yeah. fridge, melted butter. And in my experience, uh, a cookie that spreads was from the fat being too warm when it went into the making of the dough. So I've always attributed a melted butter-based cookie dough as a potential risk. And I'm not sure that oh, I, so I stand corrected. I love a melted cookie, uh, a melted butter cookie dough, just simply for the speed of it. Because, you know, I often will want a cookie and then I haven't, you know, put my butter out to room temperature, you know. So if I find a recipe that, you know, uses melted butter, I love that. But the ones I use and the one I depend on usually let the dough set up again. So it's almost like you're melting the butter to get a quick mix, but then either refrigerating it or letting it sit like for a half hour or something to get that fat to re-solidify. So oh, I see, do think... that's genius. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yes, now, now you've educated me. So that, that brings us to the... That's brilliant, actually, David. By the way, if you just tuned in, you're late because the brilliant David Tamarkin <laughs> is here. King Arthur Baking Company, the newly updated and revised cookie companion. It's called the Essential Cookie Companion. Cookbook available on Amazon now. Uh, get it while it's hot because I will tell you this is their best-selling cookbook and it's never been better. And it's cookie season, right? There was never a more appropriate phrase than tis the season. Now that's genius. So let's talk about what you just said, David. You could use melted butter in the making of the dough, but it's about letting the dough set or rest or chill that produces the shape and the texture of the cookie we desire. Yes, because in that sense, you're letting the, the melted butter kind of re-solidify so within smart. the dough and giving it some structure. Yes. Um, and then, of course, the other thing, which I'm sure you know, but maybe some of your listeners don't know, is the longer you let cookie dough rest, uh, the more hydrated the flour comes. Hmm. So you can make any, you know, a lot of these cookies, you make the dough, you scoop them out, you, you bake them right away, and that gives you immediate gratification. That's a wonderful thing. The way I make a lot of my cookies is I do that because I want to eat the cookies right away. And then I'll put, like, you know, the remaining dough in the fridge. I'll let it sit overnight where it, it hydrates. And it's so interesting to see, again, here it is, only, only nerds would do this, but every, you know, day by day, how the cookies change as the flour gets more hydrated. And you know how, like, in a cookie, I feel like it's very, um, a lot of bakers are, are go for this now. They kind of have that wrinkly appearance sometimes. Yes. Where you can see kind of rings, like almost like a tree, a tree trunk kind of half. You can see kind of wrinkly rings around the cookie. If you want those, there are a couple of ways to get them. Some people do like the pan banging thing. That's nowhere in this book. But a well hydrated dough will get you that texture, um, that kind of wrinkly look, which is not just a look. It's also the kind of a chewy texture. And you get the kind of crisp edges and a kind of chewier as you go into the center. Yes, it's um, a, a mouthfeel, right? It's for those that can't decide yeah. between the chewy and the crispy chocolate chip cookie and they want the best of every world. They want both. They right? want both, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of a smoke ring when you're grilling, right? Like what everybody aspires to. The perfect smoke yes. ring. The perfect wrinkled cookie. Yes. Yes. I'm going to spend the rest of the yes. year trying to, trying to produce it. What is your <laughs> What is your favorite cookie? You You mentioned being a chocolate chip cookie lover, and you mentioned mm -hmm. melted butter in a dough. So, mm -hmm. what is the ultimate cookie for you? 
Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a melted cookie. It's a melted butter chocolate chip cookie. Um, it's actually in this book. It uses rye flour. It's the rye chocolate chip cookie in this mm. book. Um, this nice. is my new favorite because this is a pretty new recipe. But traditionally, yeah, I really love a quick, uh, fast melted butter chocolate chip cookie recipe. And I always, I always, I do, I do, this is, again, real nerdy, but I, I always chop my chocolate and then I sift my chocolate because I don't want to have the shards because I don't like to have, I like to have real distinct chocolate puddles in my chocolate chip cookies. I don't like, I don't want the shards to like make all the dough chocolate. I like the, the contrast between like the brown sugar, caramelly vanilla dough mm-hmm. and the kind of like the rich chocolate. Okay. I like you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> we could have cookies together anytime. Really, because I, I too—I think you would like my cookies. Yeah. I think I would, and you know, I understand. I haven't um, experimented a lot with rye flour. This is a—I'm looking at your favorite recipe. This is a, a three cups of all rye flour dough mm-hmm. recipe. Um, I understand what you love about rye, or I can assume at least it's that malty kind of flavor and and texture that it lends as well and I was raised my mother put malt powder in everything she makes um malted waffles in the morning and they're addictive I mean there's something beautiful about malt powder and I think rye flour has a very similar flavor profile in that you get that maltiness that is irresistible so I can't wait to make your rye chocolate chip cookies but can I can we go back to molasses for just one second? Yes, I was please. Thinking about something. Go ahead. You know, I was talking about I'm a chocolate chip cookie person. You're a molasses person. I'm definitely a molasses person too. It made me think about this cookie I made maybe last year or two years ago. This is not a cookie that's in the book, but I think we're allowed to go. I think we're allowed to talk about other cookies yes. once or twice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Susan Spungen, um, who's a cookbook author and, and food stylist, um, sort of a legend. A talented, talented one. Yes, she's graced this show. Yeah. Oh, so you know, so, you, so you, you may know this, but she, I'm just remembering, she has a molasses, she has a mashup, basically, of molasses cookies and chocolate chip cookies, and I've made them. She has a ginger molasses chocolate chip cookie. Ooh. So it's all the, everything you, it's like, the, everything you love about the molasses cookie, the, the soft, chewy kind of molasses cookie, and then it's got these big chocolate chunks in it, and it is so good, it's so satisfying, and I think that that is, that, that cookie is basically like you and me combined. So you know it's going to be a good thing. Well, of course it is. Oh, my God. I, the, the cookie you just described makes me feel like I just found my next husband. I mean, I'm just remembering this cookie. It's so good. I I've think not I made, made hers. I'm Arthur right now. Okay, and, and I, yeah. I will search as well. If the recipe is posted, please let us know. Um, I'll, I'll be, yeah. we, we will be baking from the book, of course. Um, I am also going to ask you a favor. I don't want this conversation to end. Will you stay with us so that we can continue to dish on recipes? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Please don't go away. The cookie conversation continues. King Arthur Baking Company, the essential cookie companion, the cookbook out now. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. Welcome back, cookie lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I do like to say, and it's true, we have the best culinary thinkers on this show. 
and you have very good taste to have tuned in. David Tamarkin is here, editorial director for King Arthur Baking Company, as we dish on the Essential Cookie Companion. The new cookbook release, newly revised and updated, we're giving you everything you need to know, arming you to be an absolute cookie expert. There are 400 recipes in the book, and we've only touched on one. Uh, So the culinary conversation continues. Everyone trusts the bakers at King Arthur for a reason. There's no doubt. And this is a book for America's favorite dessert category uh, that is second to none. We were just uh, salivating, well, I was, over rye chocolate chip cookies. Um, I have a favorite cookie, David, selfishly, um, and I alluded to it earlier, um, but it's anything at the holidays, especially, it's anything molasses. So I love um, a a chewy molasses cookie. I love a ginger snap because I consider it in the same category. Um, And I, I love that the book offers a variety of each style of cookie, like the crispy, the chewy chocolate chip, the chewy, the crunchy molasses or ginger snap. Um, are, are they as popular everywhere as they are in my, in my house? Well, that's an interesting question because as you were saying that, I think they are particularly popular, this type of flavor in the Northeast where King Arthur's based in, yes. uh, in Vermont and New England. It, it, it kind of gives me that kind of vibe, uh, you know, those you think of, I, you know, when I think of New England, I think of, you know, maple syrup and, and you know, real cold weather, real, you know, real deep, dark winters. Yes. And it's got those flavors that you kind of want to eat during that time. So I don't, I don't have any demographic information on this, but I'm going to say it is as popular in the Northeast as it is in California. Yes, and I can't wait to make the molasses snaps, which in the book are alluded to as ultra-crisp parchment thin and I I love that. So you could make an ice cream sandwich with a with a cookie like that. Uh, and then there's a chewy molasses, which I think I've taught my son to love, even as young as he is. Um, you hand him a gingerbread cookie right now, and his eyes open, you know, w- wider than than the circumference of his head, um, which is quite quite fantastic to watch. Really, I mean, it's quite fabulous. Yes. I, 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 and these molasses snaps are like almost as big as a baby's head. Oh, perfect. Three and a half cook, three and a okay. half inches around. That's a big cookie. Okay, good. Like. Good, good, good. I do yeah. too. Um, let's talk biscotti for a second, only because I grew up with an aunt who was famous for biscotti. Like that was, mm. she carried them in her purse. She brought them everywhere. She was welcomed mm. everywhere. It was a host gift. It didn't matter the season or the holiday. And I think there's something really beautiful about the double-baked process of a biscotti mm-hmm. cookie and that there's, there's just so much love in it. And I'm glad you're bringing it up because I'm glad you're putting lots of love on to biscotti because I think some people don't, don't give it the respect it deserves. I think there's, unfortunately, people maybe have perhaps had bad biscotti experiences where it's been too dry or old and they just associate it with like almost staleness. But you are absolutely right. First of all, your, your aunt... That is a definition of love, right? To make it biscotti, it's not hard, no. but it is baked twice. So it's, it's a like, time, you know, it it's a time consuming yeah. process, yes, but yeah, well yes, worth and, and, it. And, and absolutely well worth it. And you, you know, like if there, she's doing that for you, that's, that is an act of love, and it is a, it is a really wonderful thing to do for someone, and, oh. and it, it shows care. Uh, but yeah, but I love biscotti, and I love it for, um, you know, I obviously love it for dipping into anything, whether it's, you know, a liqueur. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I could do it in my chai tea. Um, I would really just like to do it in hot chocolate, though, that's really, really 
really thick hot chocolate. So it's almost yes. like a nosh. Oh, um, drinking yeah. chocolate. Oh, yes. Brown sugar, cinnamon biscotti, or pine nut, fettle, and raisin, or cranberry orange, or butter pecan, or cinnamon mocha. Oh, pistachio cherry. Okay, oh. I will move on. Um, for more than 225 years, King Arthur Baking Company has been a cherished partner in the kitchen. There's no doubt. It's their highest of quality ingredients. It's their foolproof recipes. And it is the company's most popular cookbook, newly revised and updated, entitled The Essential Cookie Companion. 400 recipes, uh, really uh, beautifully written, understandable, easy to make directions for these recipes and gorgeous new photography. It is a cookbook for bakers of every level. Please check it out on Amazon um, and go to the website. And nothing changed with your website with the name change, David, did it? No, just, just a little bit of new branding, but all the recipes are still there. We've got all the information still there. Okay, good. So uh, we will go to King KingArthurBaking.com. Thank you. KingArthurBaking.com, making sure I got it right. Uh, the new book, King Arthur Baking Company, The Essential Cookie Companion. David Tamarkin, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And with that said, I thank you for listening. And as promised, this is my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic pleasure. At the start of the show, I talked about gifts of food, always devoured. They make you a culinary hero. Who doesn't like something homemade for the holidays? And who doesn't love a tipsy bottle of homemade Kahlua. I know this is a really important gift, in fact, and one you need to get on because I believe that homemade Kahlua is best aged under the kitchen sink, which is where my mom always did it for about a month. If you start now, you can gift it at the holidays, Christmas, Kwanzaa, and of course at New Year's and just put a a little hang tag on it uh, with the drink date, as I call it. How do you make homemade Kahlua? Super simply, you dissolve sugar in water, preferably just by mixing, no heat required. You're going to add instant espresso powder for our family recipe, as opposed to instant coffee. I think the Italian instant espresso powder is far more delicious, richer, and yummier. And then you're going to add brandy. Some people add vodka. We do brandy. And a scraped vanilla bean. You pour it into a jar with a very good sealing lid or cap and you shake, shake, shake. It goes in a dry, dark place and it ages a month. And about every few days or whenever my mom would open the cabinet underneath the kitchen sink, she would shake it up. I have to tell you, it is so much more delicious than the store-bought version. Sorry, Kahlua. There is something about a homemade Kahlua that just... Absolutely, as my mom does say, warms the cockles of your soul. And what a gift, right? I'm posting my homemade Kahlua recipe now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you will go steal it, make it your own, and show off. Because cheers to the holiday season. Next weekend, I'm back live in your radio. So please join me for more scrumptious conversation. Until then, visit chefjamie.com or find podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen. Please stay healthy. And once again, thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.